0: To the final message in a series of three on the Lord's Prayer. Entitled today is a question When you pray, what do you ask God for? Now we know that Jesus is telling us about this, he's answering this very question, but let me put it to you at the beginning When you pray, what do you ask God for? Jesus doesn't leave us guessing. He talks about prayer being a relationship with God, come to him as our Father, develop communion and intimacy in his presence, recognize who he is in all his glorious holiness, elevate the Father's wishes to your top priority, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, living for his glory. And now, this part of the prayer, Jesus says, this is what you ask God for, for yourself and for others. If the first part of the prayer is about enjoying God's intimacy, second part of the prayer, living for his glory, this part is about experiencing his wisdom. Interesting. When we come to pray and ask God for things, we need wisdom. I don't think it's just a question of submitting to God everything you think, everything you feel, everything you want, and letting him decide. If prayer is relationship with God, we want to enter into his heart and begin to flow with him and begin to discern his ways. In the middle of the prayer it says, let your will be done, may your will be done on earth it is in heaven. This part of the prayer could be uh, expressed this way, Lord, I want to be sensitive to and follow your ways as you lead me through the circumstances of life. And we need wisdom when confronted by the circumstances of life. And we know that the, the uh, thing that trumps everything else is the Father's glory. You know, when in doubt, you just say, God, whatever brings you most glory, that's what I want in my life. We know that we could have some rights as sons, and daughters of the living God that God has already answered yes to our every need, yes to our every question, for all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. There's no doubt about that, but we still need wisdom because God works in ways that transcends our demandingness. In other words, there are times when we want something, and God in his wisdom says, listen, that's not how it's going to be. And even when it comes to getting some things that we believe are legitimate in life, we still need to trust God's wisdom in how he operates it in the whole of our lives. So it's about having wisdom to follow this leading of the Holy Spirit and to follow God's purposes through us even though the experiences might be painful both in life and in death. Corrie Ten Boom was a woman who was arrested by the Nazis during the occupation in Holland in the Second World War and sent to concentration camp deep in the heart of Germany, Ravensbrück, along with her sister Betsy. The Ten Boom family had been helping Jewish people escape through a hiding place in their own home and a movie by the name of Hiding Place was made of the story and a book also by the same name, The Hiding Place, based on the scripture that the Lord is our hiding place. And the story is very poignant because just towards the end, Betsy, who was Corrie's sister, said she'd had a dream there, in the concentration camps, had a dream both would be free by Christmas. Betsy died a few days later, and Corrie was released from the concentration camp through a clerical error. The same week that it was decided that people in the camps of her age would be exterminated, so both were free. God had a plan for one sister and a plan for the other sister. And Betsy said to Cory before she died, she said, Betsy, you're going to be free from here. You're going to go. And I, I want you to go and tell everybody in the whole world what we've learned here in the misery of Nazi concentration camps where they witnessed 600 people being burned a day in the ovens. They discovered that Jesus never fails. They discovered that you never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Amen. And here was the message. Go and tell them what we've learned here. There is no pit so deep that his love is deeper still. When we come to think about asking God for things, guided by the wisdom of Jesus. Let's bear in mind that this is not an open sesame. This is not a magic lantern or a a magic lamp. A slot machine. It's relationship. And God knows what's best. Let's read the request, Matthew 6, verse 11 to 13. Give us today the food we we need... And forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Here Jesus directs our requests, prayer for ourselves and for others, for our needs, in three categories. He said, listen. It's God's provision, his sustenance, his forgiveness, and his deliverance. Sustenance, forgiveness, and deliverance. Those are the three aspects of provision which cover pretty well everything in the Lord's Prayer. And notice that these requests are not merely to get our needs met. But these requests are about developing a relationship with God in which we understand his ways and submit to his wisdom for the greater purposes of his glory because sometimes it is through provision and other times it's through something that goes beyond just a simple answer an instant answer to every prayer let's look at sustenance give us this day our daily bread bread is staple food we've been grinding uh, we've been grinding um, Grain since the stone ages. Bread has been a staple diet nourishment for generations, centuries and centuries and centuries. So when he says give us this day our daily bread, he's talking about sustaining provision for every part of our lives, beginning with the physical. And thank God that God remembers that we are people with bodies that need something to eat, that need a home, and so on. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus later on goes on to say... Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of such things. But it's not just food for our bodies. It's physical provision for every part of our lives physically. He's our provider, Jehovah Jireh. He's our healer, Jehovah Rapha. And every other name of God is fulfilled in the name of Jesus Christ. And all the promises are yes and amen. And it's just so easy to be blessed by God. It's so easy to get an answer to prayer. And already God has already said yes. It's like he's answered emails. Say yes to all. But, friends, that doesn't mean that we actually get everything as and when we think we need it and we ask for it. Everything will come to us in the future, by the way, anyway, in the kingdom of God. But there are times when it looks like God is withholding something And getting an answer from God is so easy, so straightforward, it's just there that if it looks even like for a moment that God appears to be withholding anything from us, no matter how small, that's the time to sit up and take notice. Because God is up to something better than if he gave you what you asked him straight away. Oh, that takes faith. That takes faith. We know that God is the God of our supply. We know that he answers our prayers. He gives us food and healing for our body. What is interesting to me is that um, Corrie Ten Boom, after she was released and uh, she went around preaching all over the place, and uh, in 1978, five years before she died, by the way, she she died on her birthday, her 91st birthday, August the 15th, 1983. She was born on August the 15th, um, 19, 1892. So she was born on her birth birthday. Well, of course she's born on her birthday, but she <laughs> died on her birthday. And um, age seventy-eight, no, in 1978 rather, she had a stroke. Now, this woman had walked with God her whole life. She'd been to hell and back again with a message of God's love. She called herself the tramp for the Lord. That's tramping around the world, just on the, on the move for God. She had a stroke, 1978. It paralyzed her. Now, this woman has walked with Jesus. She knew Jesus so intimately, that when she began to talk to him about her illness, this was the conversation that's been reported to me. She said, Jesus, I know you can heal me, it's so easy. And I guess I, I'd love to be healed right now, but tell me what you think. Let me ask you this question, Jesus, what would give you greater glory? Me to be healed or me not to be healed? Now, I tell you what, up until very recently, I had no theology for that at all. Forget that kind of negative nonsense. Have a positive confession, please, lady. I mean, you know, you may be old, you walk with Jesus a bit, but have you forgotten? That lady was, was held in, in a German Nazi concentration camp. She knew Jesus better than anybody who glibly says, name it and claim it. And she listened to Jesus. This is what Jesus said. Correa could heal you. We'll heal you. You know my promises, but it would give me greater glory if I were not to heal you. So she said, Lord, I want your glory. So she spent the last five years of her life paralyzed. Well, how could that possibly be glorifying to God? Remember the man who was born blind in the Gospel of John? They said, well, whose sin was it? His parents' sin or his sin that he's born like this. And Jesus said, neither. This is for the glory of God. Not his illness, but his healing. Remember that? So there is a glory that God reveals through healing. That's wonderful. But there are times when God says, I've got another plan. If you hang on to this, I'm going to show my glory through your life that I couldn't do it even if I healed you. What glory is that, friends? It's the glory... That she learned in the pit of suffering and darkness that Jesus is enough. And when you have nothing but Jesus, you discover that he really is enough. And in the strength of that, she was able to say, Lord, I will continue to display my trust in you no matter what my circumstances. This is the kind of thing we're into here. Physical sustenance... When we learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer, this kind of prayer for provision is not about having our needs met, but having, just having our needs met, it is that, but it's more, it's about increasing our knowledge and confidence of the Father. But it's not just physical provision, it's also provision for the soul, the inner life, There is such a thing as chicken soup for the soul. I don't know if you know that series put out by the motivational speakers, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. They collaborated their motivational speakers, went around the world, not not necessarily Christian, but going around the world speaking motivational speeches and then picking up stories of people, put it all together. And those inspiring stories have ministered to people's soul, given people courage, I thank God that there is chicken soup for the soul here in the Word of God. Yes, there is. There is a promise for every need that we go through. Is that not right? There is a, a word for, for when you're depressed. There's a word for when you're discouraged. There's a word for when you're lonely. There's a word for when you're dissatisfied. There's a word for when you're confused. There's a word for when you're afraid. There's a word for when you are in trouble. Amen. Yes, God ministers to our emotional needs. But also, there is spiritual food, the bread of life, the word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So daily bread is not just physical sustenance. It also is nourishment for our soul, but also it is food for our spiritual life. Give us this day our daily bread. Sustenance that increases our confidence in the Father. Then Jesus goes on to talk about the second kind of category of things we ask God for forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, this request is there to increase our communion with the Father, to increase our level of fellowship with the Father. All this prayer is about entering into a deeper relationship with God as our Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we are told by Jesus to ask the Father to forgive us our trespasses, we ought not to argue with that. But it has created a big argument today. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's been provoked by are grace preachers the preachers who will say, why do you need to ask God to forgive you of your sins when he's already forgiven you past, present and future then the others will say no 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 you grace preachers you're, you're, you're preaching uh, you're preaching cheap grace here because actually no sin is ever forgiven until it's confessed, And repented of. Hmm. Some people were nodding very furiously to the first part, and some were nodding very furiously to the second part. Well, you're both right, but there is a difference. I want to explain this to you, it's very important. When Jesus says to us, Say to your Father, forgive us our sins we are addressing god as father and its parental forgiveness we're looking for parental forgiveness has to do with our walk and fellowship with god our deepening fellowship with god it comes under the area that we call sanctification your work of walk of holiness and intimacy with god and on that basis you need and i need constant forgiveness because we sin and we need God to forgive us, and we need to put it right with God. We do that in our normal human relationships. Amanda and I joke sometimes, and I say sometimes to Amanda, Amanda, will, oh, please, I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me, she said, I did that the day we met. <laughs> or another thing she says, well, I, I, I did that the day we got married. That's a very profound statement. I and mean, we're just playing. When we, because, of course, I never have to ask her to forgive me of anything, as you Forgive me, Lord. All right. (laughs) Now, in a very real sense, when we stood here, June the 9th, 19 what what year was it (laughs) 79. I remember in this very spot in this church, Amanda accepted me as her husband. It was a done deal. I accept you totally. She didn't say, I accept you on these conditions. Then the next five years, you work on this, this, and this. And by in ten years' time, you'll be this, this. No, she accepted me as I am. That's what God does when he saves you. So, when we are saved, the Bible calls it justification, God declares us righteous, and all our sins, past, present, and future, are nailed to the cross. We sing, oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Yes? All our sins... Jesus carried 2,000 years ago, past, present, and future, and we never need his forgiveness again for that because it's talking about his once-for-all acceptance. The Bible calls it justification. He declares us righteous, and we never stand before God as judge again to hear our sins read over us. So when it comes to justification, our relationship with God and our our entrance into heaven, it's a done deal. Praise the Lord. We remain His sons and daughters forever. But He's not now asking us to come to Him as judge. This is for saved people, people who know Him as Father. When we come to God as Father, there's a whole lot we need to talk about between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and parents and kids. Whatever your kids do, they're still your kids. doesn't mean to give them the right to do anything. They choose just because they remain your kids. In fact, because they are your kids, you will make sure you discipline them and have a good talk to them about stuff when it needs to happen. Can I have an amen in the house? But it also goes on to say, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And this is conditional. If you don't forgive others, God isn't going to forgive you. The Father isn't going to forgive you. You're going to have an outstanding situation between you and your Heavenly Father. It's not your eternal destiny, but it's your depth of relationship with God, and it will affect you even to the point of losing your intimacy with God and your inheritance if you don't walk in that way. You know, we underestimate how important it is to forgive one another. Here's how it works. If we say, Father, forgive me for my sins, have we prayed the Lord's Prayer yet? Not really, because it's not you forgive me my sins. We come together as a community, our Father in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses. And there are people who are praying this prayer sitting next to you who have trespassed against you and they're saying, forgive us our trespasses and you're saying, God, forgive me my trespasses and forgive us our trespasses. How can you ask God to forgive us our trespasses if the person next to you you're not willing to forgive? Can you see that our relationship with God is not just one way vertical? The Bible says, love to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you seek a relationship to be restored between you and God vertically, it will not happen without your horizontal relationship also being healed. There are people that you need to forgive. Oh, let me just tear this open right now. There are people that you need to forgive. There are prayers that God is never going to answer. There's intimacy with God you're never going to achieve. There's a relationship with God you're never going to experience until you forgive those who have sinned against you. Right. Who is it in your life? Courage ten Boom. Travel back to Germany after the war in 1947. She gave a message, her testimony. Afterwards, an old man came up to her and said, well, you, you, you mentioned Ravensbrück. I was in Ravensbrück as well. I was one of the guards. And she said, do you remember the Ten Booms? No. And Corrie wrote an article, and it all flooding up in her heart, in her article in 1972, she said, I'm still learning to forgive. It all flooded up. Think this man doesn't even know who we are. Don't even remember us. And Betsy died, and he died because of people like him. And this man went on to say, "Something happened to me. I've also become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me. But will you forgive me?" Corey writes, and I stood. Still there with, my, with the coldness clutching my heart but forgiveness is not an emotion I knew that too forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart remember that you can choose to do the right thing no matter how you feel Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand to the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Do you know why God calls upon you to forgive? So that you will know what it means to love and feel the love of God that Jesus had in his heart when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is the summit expression of God's love, and he wants you to experience it. Give Jesus a big praise in this house. Provision number one, sustenance, daily bread. Sustenance that increases our confidence in the Father. Provision number two, forgiveness. The forgiveness that increases our communion with the Father. Provision number three, deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the deliverance that increases our commitment to the Father. You know, when you understand that God is for you, not against you, that he protects you in every situation and circumstance and promises never to let anything come into your life that he cannot use for your good and for his glory, when you know that God is 100% for you, you can strengthen your commitment in him. Who is it easier to be committed to? Somebody who is 100% for you or somebody who is totally against you? How can you commit to somebody who's totally against you? But the more you see that God is totally for you, even when it looks like things are going wrong, and you work through that with the wisdom of God, and you come out the other end, you can commit to him even more. That's why Corrie Ten Boom was able to pray, Father, it's your glory that I'm after. And if, it's, if I don't get healed, and that brings you more glory, let the world know that I love you and trust you anyway, because I love you not for what you do for me but what you've already done for me at the cross in Jesus name so the prayer goes like this lead us not into temptation now we're going to do a little bit of explanation here because the word temptation and the word trial in the greek is exactly the same word So it can be translated temptation or trial. It's probably better translated trial here because God does not lead us into the temptation, the kind of temptation that would be tempting us to sin. God isn't like that. James 1 verse 13 says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Two things. God himself is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anybody else to do wrong. So it doesn't mean that we should ask God, please don't tempt us to do wrong. He'd never do that in the first place. However, we know that the devil has a vested interest in leading us into temptation, and this prayer will be saying, take us out of the enemy's temptation. Help us not to be to walk in straight into that trap. And here Jesus knows a great deal about the about that kind of temptation. Why? The devil tried to get Jesus to sin. Do you know that? When Jesus Jesus was tempted by the devil, and some say, well, he can't be tempted in the way we are because it says, you know, you're drawn away by your own lust, and God is not tempted. But this was not just God, friends. God cannot die. This is not just God. This is God-man. God cannot get hungry. This is not just God. This is God-man. This is the man, Christ Jesus. A whole lot of things the incarnate Jesus went through that God, outside of incarnation, could never experience, including temptation. Jesus, when he came into this world and was made flesh, he became the second Adam. And the last one, because the first Adam failed, second Adam succeeded, we have no need of a third Adam. Second Adam is the last one. The first Adam was perfect, just as the second Adam was. In the first Adam, there was no evil desire in Adam's heart that the enemy could get hold of and tempt him into sin. But he was able successfully to get the first Adam to sin because he sowed the seeds of doubt and deception in the hearts of Adam. And Adam began to, des- to desire to go his own way. And there he was, hooked on the line. And first Adam sinned. Second Adam comes along, and it seems to me that the devil tried exactly the same tactic, saying, ah, I met somebody like you a long time ago in the Garden of Eden. His name was Adam. He was also sinless. And I see you are sinless. But in the same way that I got rid of the first Adam, I'm going to get rid of you as well. And three times, Satan tempted Jesus in the sense that he tried to get Jesus to be deceived and conceive sinful desire in his heart. But three times Jesus defeated him. And and notice he used the word three times, the word against Satan. Praise God, praise God. So when it says lead us not into temptation, we know that it's actually asking God to help us and deliver us from the evil one. And, and, and also from unnecessary trials. Trials are tests. And sometimes we fall into these tests. James 1 verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When you fall into trials... In other words, you just discover that all of a sudden seems to come to you from nowhere. There are trouble all around, and it doesn't seem as if problems and disasters and tests come one at a time. They come like an avalanche. They surround you, And, and even at times like this, when we fall into these kind of things, God is with us and will take us through. That's why we can rejoice, but there is another kind of trial that God leads us into because of our stubbornness and that's what Jesus is saying pray that you can avoid that in other words don't be like the horse and the mule that needs to be pulled and pushed into position but be ready to walk in my wisdom Psalm 32 verses 8 and 9 say I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch over you. That's what God's saying. If you walk in my wisdom, and you know that my ways are the best, I will guide you, and I'll guide you. You know, it's like a guide. I'm not going to force you. I don't have to because you're willing. I'll guide you. I'll advise you. Don't have to dictate to you because you're willing. I will advise you. I'll watch over you. One of the versions says, I guide you with my eye, which is like saying, like in a restaurant, a good restaurant, you look up, catch the eye of the waiter, and he's there, she's there. Most restaurants, you have to, they will walk 340 degrees around you so that they never catch catch you by the eye. Have you noticed that? So here you're trying to catch them, and there you are, there you say, That's what we're like sometimes, avoiding the gaze of God. We look at Him, we follow Him. But He says, now, if you're not like that, there's another way. There's a way of chastening. It's painful. It's like you're, don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So ask God to be set free from that kind of unnecessary trial. That's what He's talking about. Lead us not into the time of trial. But deliver us from the evil one. Hallelujah. One word, that's it. Deliver us from the evil one. Not weeks and months of praying, fasting, demon stomping. Deliverance is like that in the name of Jesus. God is not the author of sin. He's the author of victory. He's not the author of suffering. He is the God who blesses us despite what circumstances come our way the victory is already complete but it's being rolled out bit by bit the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself so now we are free from satan's power satan has been destroyed defeated driven out and disarmed sin has lost its power over us and in the presence of sin evil and suffering in this world we're protected by god and god will keep us and bring us safe to his kingdom in the final day. And we will say, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen, Amen. Amen. and amen. That doxology is not in all of the manuscripts for Matthew, but it is a very good ending to this kind of prayer and any kind of prayer it is almost word for word what David prayed at the end of his life, getting ready, helping his son Solomon get ready for building the temple, ascribing all the glory and the majesty and the kingdom to God. And for us, it's a reminder that there is such a thing as a happy ending. Optimism is warranted if you believe in a good God who's in charge of everything. If you don't believe in a good God in charge of everything, you have no hope or any reason to be hopeful. Corrie Ten Boom again, she says, I know that the experience of our lives, when we let God use them, become the mysterious and perfect preparation for the work he will give us to do. Wow. God is working out everything according to his purpose. That purpose, according to this Lord's Prayer, is to draw us closer to the Father's presence that we might enjoy His intimacy. Elevate us to the Father's priority that we might live for the Father's glory and give us to experience His provision so we might understand His ways and His wisdom and discovering that His way is always best. Amen. Let's continue to celebrate and enjoy him now. I'm a friend of God. Anybody a friend of God
1: today? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. true that you are thinking of me, how you love me, it's amazing. My Lord, who knows we serve an awesome God this morning? I said, Who knows we serve an awesome God this morning? Hallelujah! Oh. let us all sing together. Let us declare it, Lord God, you're so.